Did your favorite NFL team win the Super Bowl? No? Then the NFL Draft is your Super Bowl. I'm Danny Heifetz, and from now until the draft, we are turning our fantasy football show feed into the Ringer NFL Draft Show. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we talk about the top players and most important storylines for the NFL Draft. So join us on the Ringer NFL Draft Show. It's the Ringer's Philly Special presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up. And with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Ringers Philly special. It's the Sixers show. It's Chris Ryan and Raheem Palmer. What's up, Raheem? What's good? I mean, I'm excited for the NBA playoffs. We finally got some games that matter. Guys are finally getting paid to actually play basketball. So it's the most beautiful time of the year. You know, a lot of people like March Madness. A lot of people like the Super Bowl. For me, outside of a prize fight in Vegas, the NBA playoffs, the first weekend, that Saturday, Sunday is the best thing in sports for me. See, you say that, and then it's going to be next Wednesday, and it's going to be like Hawks-Celtics <laughs> game five. <laughs> you know, like We're going to be like, after nine days of triple headers, and your eyes are going to be coming out of your heads. No, I love the playoffs, man. It's what we live for. Reem, we're going to talk about the Sixers-Nets first-round series that kicks off on Saturday uh, at, at about 1 o'clock uh, Eastern time, I believe, 10 a.m. Pacific. Very much looking forward to that. This is really what the season has been building up to. This has been a kind of odd Sixers season because even from the second it tipped off, we were like, wake us when the playoffs start. And everything that's happened over the course of the regular season, we've learned a lot. Joel Embiid seems odds-on to win the MVP award. That's fantastic. James Harden, one of the top playmakers in the league this season with his 10.7 assists per game. It's all been great, but it doesn't matter, right? Like, what are we talking about here? Like, everything comes down to whether or not the Sixers can get out of the second round of the playoffs. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you know, like... It's not even just everything. It's it's really the future of the franchise comes down to whether the Sixers can get out of the, the second round of the playoffs. Because, you know, it's, I mean, in the modern NBA, you just don't have forever to win with stars before, you know, they get disgruntled and, you know, want to go somewhere else. So, um, you know, we have these four-year contracts now, five-year contracts now. Um, you know, it's not back in the day where you had got signed for seven, eight years. Um, there's a limited amount of time. So the future is now for the Sixers team. 
Yeah. And, you know, a lot of, you know, there are teams out there that are probably in down cycles, competitive, traditionally competitive franchises that might be in a little bit of down cycles that I don't think we can always expect for them to be so. You know, um, the Knicks seem to be going in the right direction. Quinn Snyder's coaching the Hawks. Like, it's a competitive Eastern Conference. And the Sixers window is now. So, really, what we're talking about is a really tough road to the Eastern Conference Finals and the NBA Finals. And we're, we're going to talk about this first-round matchup. Reem, though, last night the plan tournament kicked off. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. So Tuesday night, just for folks' reference, there was the Hawks-Heat game and there was the Lakers-Timberwolves uh, game. Lakers won and the Hawks won. So those two teams moving on. Uh, not going to dwell too much on those games, but there was something that jumped out at watching those that I thought was germane to the Sixers. Okay? Mm-hmm. For one thing... Uh, I was struck by how every year I am reminded how crucial offensive rebounding is in the playoffs. And so I was watching Capella uh, last night against the Heat pretty much single-handedly like break their backs because he would extend plays, he would grab offensive boards, he would get putbacks. He was terrible from the foul line. He's Clint Capella, he's got limits. But like just the, the uptick in aggression on the glass... Uh, and that is something that the Sixers stink at. Uh, the, the Sixers are not a good offensive rebounding team. Did, you, did that jump out at you at all? Do you feel like that that's like a, a thing that we're going to have to worry about going forward is like the, the emphasis that gets put on maybe parts of the game that get ignored in the regular season? Um, you know, that, that stood out to me last night, but I didn't think about it in terms of the Sixers um, just because I, I feel as though offensively, at least in this series, we should be able to overwhelm the net. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, it's not something that kind of really stood out as an issue here for me. But I guess I meant more like, uh, maybe even not even the nets. It's like holistically, like, mm-hmm. like, oh, like, do you think that the Sixers need to put an emphasis on any part of the game, say offensive rebounding, that they haven't over the course of the season? Um, I mean, obviously for me, it's, it's, it's always going to be transition for me. Yeah. Um, but I mean, fortunately for us, the Nets are like 23rd in transition. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely not trying to build up any kind of like case for the Nets by like watching a Hawks game. It was really more just that, um, I think in the same way that baseball playoffs are different than regular season baseball. Yeah. NBA playoff basketball is starting to become its completely own animal from regular season basketball. So the three things that I noticed were a Obviously, just like the way offensive rebounding can swing a game, because I feel yeah. like if Capella doesn't do what he does last night, the Hawks don't crush the Heat. The Heat also just had a bad game. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking about, especially in terms of that T Wolves Lakers game, was focus and mistakes. And yeah. the T Wolves, you know, I, I don't know, you, you, there's a hundred different ways you can go on that game. But one thing that I noticed down the stretch is just like b- bonehead mistakes. And, and being sloppy uh, down the stretch and not getting good shots and making and making dumb passes and had some turnovers and stuff. And, uh, you know, the Sixers team has been essentially elite all season. Mm-hmm. It's been a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense, and they've gone on these great win streaks, and they've got the best player in basketball. But they could be dumb-dumb sometimes with the basketball, especially down the stretch. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you have Joel Embiid, who, I mean, he is the MVP. I love him to death. But he struggles to handle double teams, and that often creates turnovers. And then you have James Harden, who, you know, sometimes he can be turnover heavy. 
I mean, turnover prone. I mean, you, you go back and you look at um, the Boston game, not the last one, the, the one before that, um, where, you know, we had a huge lead in the third quarter and it just felt like we just kept turning the ball over. And before you know it, the Celtics take a lead. Um, and then they end up winning that game. So we have to protect the ball. I'm more concerned with the turnovers than I am offensive rebounds. I think that's yeah. the thing that that's that's that we're gonna have to clean up. I mean, I think we're 17th in offensive rebound rate. So um, I think that can be improved upon in the postseason um, with the effort. Um, I would have to obviously go back and look at you know our philosophy towards offensive rebounding. Um, you know, it's actually weird that. We're bad at offensive rebounding and we're bad at transition. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like choose one, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crash the glass or get back. But yeah, don't not crash the glass, but walk back up the court. It's the worst of both worlds. I know, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, it does seem like a um an energy saving instruction, which is just like don't don't break your backs trying to get boards you know, in a regular season game against Toronto in, in January, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like let's, let's move through like these different phases of the game. But I was just really struck with every Hawks miss. It felt like it was three heat defenders being blown off the face of the earth by Capella who would come down with it at either kick it back out or go back up. And, you know, if he goes to the foul line, that's not, that's basically like a turnover in and of itself. But I was just really, I was really struck by those two two takeaways from last night's game. I'm like, oh yeah, defensive intensity, mental mistakes, IQ plays, and and offensive rebounding are, are like three things that just become massively important in playoff basketball. Oh yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. <laughs> it's not the Sixers' first time around the, the track, though. I I do think that their experience collectively will be a big factor over uh, the Nets. Uh, I have a couple of questions that are sort of like general about the playoffs in general for the Sixers. And then mm. I have a couple of questions for you about this net series in particular. So let's start with the Sixers and this postseason in general. Okay. Okay. What is a good season 2022, 23 season look like for the Sixers that does not end with them in the finals? A good season for the six, like, Honestly, I can't define a good season for the Sixers anything other than going to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, and I'll I'll, I'll take it a step further than that and say it needs to be a seven-game series in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. I think getting to the Eastern Conference Finals and losing in either a gentleman's sweep or even really a 4-2, a 4-2 series would be disappointing and similar. I, I, I think, obviously, the way that this is all like sort of leading is that the Sixers are going to have to play Boston in the second round, which will be one of the most psychologically demanding things that I've ever engaged in as a ringer employee. Mm. <laughs> I'm sure you and I both know what we're talking about, yeah. but I think that uh, it's not just about getting to the second round. It's not just about testing Boston. It's about getting to the conference finals. And then you have to assume that the bucks are waiting, but if the bucks stomp us in the, in five games in the Eastern Conference Finals, I don't know that you can feel a lot better about it than you would if you just beat Boston in the second round. Yeah, I, you you can't. You have to. We have to actually be competitive. Like I think we have to show that we're a championship caliber team. Right. You right. know, if like it can't be. Oh yeah, we're happy to be here. Like we're past that. I mean, Joel Embiid is the MVP, and you know, like we spoke about this all year long, but. 
MVPs are not voted for in a vacuum. You expect the MVP to lead you to a championship or at least lead you to a place to where you have a chance to win a championship. So I'm expecting the Eastern Conference Finals and to be competitive, nothing nothing less. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, an interesting argument to I don't I don't know that the Sixers ever really were within touching distance of the Bucks. I mean, after the Bucks like ripped off that that really long win streak, I believe it was from January. It was like all of February that they won. You know, it was kind of over. But mm-hmm. uh, this is a really good argument for trying to get the first seed in your conference. Is because you don't have to play the two and the three. You just have to play the better one of those teams. And uh, both Boston and Philly are going to have to play one another. And then Milwaukee and Milwaukee is going to get to go probably to the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, I, I don't think that they're going to have a, a much of a problem with whoever comes out of the Cleveland, New York series. Um, you mentioned Joel and you mentioned, obviously he's officially not won the MVP, but as the early votes trickle in and as people right there who I voted for pieces and podcasts, it does seem like not only is jo- Jojo going to win, it seems like, you know, even according to Zach, he's like, I don't, Zach Lowe, he was like, I don't think this is going to be particularly close. So let's say he did win it. Let's say he is going to be awarded the MVP. Um, you mentioned this. Do you think that um, winning the award gives him a boost heading into the playoffs? Do you think it increases the pressure on him heading into the playoffs to prove that he deserves it? Do you think it doesn't make a difference whatsoever? I think it increases the pressure and the expectations from the media, but I don't think it necessarily impacts him personally. And how he's going to play the game. I think he's still going to be the same player, but I just think it increases that the expectations from, you know, the media and the fans. Um, I think if he were to lose and, you know, we, we fizzle out in the second round of the, the postseason, you know, I think you have a lot of the media, you know, completely regretting their vote. I think you have a lot of the, the fans, the people on Twitter, you know, completely just, you know, trashing him. <laughs> so I think it's that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he got what he wanted. This was this was something that I think is obviously important to him and not in a bad way. I think that it was a way of him kind of seeing a validation on, on the last few years of his career. To me, the important thing also is that uh, he sees that he can have, he can reach career goals in Philadelphia, that there's nothing about being in Philly that holds him back from what he wants to be. I mean, this is a team that, Say what you will about all the shenanigans that have happened for the Sixers since Joel has gotten here, which is just an amazing snapshot of an NBA franchise. And the coaching changes and the GM changes and the Colangelo problems and everything that happened over the years and Ben Simmons. And we've arrived in 2022-23 season. Joel Embiid's going to win the MVP and he's got James Harden as his wingman. If I told you that in 2019, the last time we played the Nets, I think you would be pretty psyched about where this team wound up if you told me that in 2019 i would kind of feel weird about it how come because in 2019 i i really had really high hopes for where we were as a franchise we had jimmy butler we we just we just traded for jimmy butler we had tobias harris to me i felt like that was the best sixer team that i had seen in my lifetime yeah um and then it felt like we still had we still had picks. We still had. We just still had things that we could, you know, do. Um, and then Ben Simmons was still like an emerging star. 
Um, I don't want to say I feel worse about it now um, because I do think this team is really good, but there was still like, I felt like the future was still ahead of us. Now I kind of feel like it's a win or it's over. Yeah, well, that was the the change in philosophy, so to speak, yeah. that happened over the course of those years when the Sixers started really going star hunting in a significant way. Because yeah. through the Butler and the Horford and, and seeing what we had with Ben and then the rumblings that Ben was going to be traded and then Ben's kind of decline, I think that the Sixers, when the process started, it was like, okay, this is the best way to go about getting elite talent is through the top of the draft, so we're going to lose to get those top draft picks. And then when we have those top draft picks, we'll have the financial flexibility to add superstar talent around those top draft picks. And essentially, that worked. You know, I mean, like, you can look, you can say a lot of things about rings and, and trophies, but the process did work in that yeah. sense. But I think that the idea for the Sixers was always like sustainable success because that's kind of like that San Antonio model, that ethos of like this can be a 10-year thing, not like a two-year thing. And I think that in 2019, even though Jimmy was so combustive, it felt like it was more sustainable, whereas now it feels like it's all, uh, it's all on the line again. You know, and that if the Sixers lose in five or six to the Celtics in the second round, Harden could go back to Houston and Bede could go uh, into a sulk and be like, I don't know what I have to do to win in Philly. They've got Toby for another couple of years. They have to max out Maxi. What deals can they make? They don't really have that many draft picks as capital. Like, so the Sixers are kind of like backed up against a wall with this team that they have that's still a second round team after all these years of different trades and different st- superstar wingmen from Embiid. And we kind of take a step back to take a step forward. So I see what you're saying, man. Like, I mean, it's like if I'm Joel, I would love to go back and see playoff performance of guys who've won MVP. Because I do think it is an emotionally draining experience to go through not only the, the process of what you have to do in the regular season to put up the numbers to win it, but yeah. I seem to remember being like also a pretty emotional experience like when you actually get the trophy. And I wonder whether or not that's going to not be a distraction for Embiid or anything like that. But it, it, I feel like everything that we're saying is like, how will this negatively impact the Sixers? But yeah. it is a thing, you know what I mean? Like, what what does MVP Joel Embiid look like in the second round of a playoffs versus MVP runner-up Joel Embiid? Yeah, and interestingly enough, the last like MVP to you know win win the finals was two was Steph Curry in two thousand fourteen two thousand fifteen. Yeah, so I, I think there maybe is something to that. Um, although you could you know argue that. You know, a lot of these guys just didn't have the team around them. Um, I think Giannis, I mean, it's hard to find criticism in the way that Giannis played in 2019, you know, 2020. I think he got he got hurt that year. Um, that was the right. year of the bubble. And I think, you know, the bubble obviously impacted his play. It's hard to find criticism the way Jokic oh, played. Oh, yeah. Every, everything that was happening around that Milwaukee team was, was I think, probably yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, I mean, the last couple of years, I think, you know, guys have just been in, you know, rough circumstances who won MVP. Even, you know, the year Steph Curry won it unanimously. He tore his MCL, had a great, great three M- MCL spring, and he just wasn't the same player after that. So um, I'm not going to I'm not going to weigh too much into it, honestly. 
Yeah, and it's not like mm-hmm. I think that you, there's like this idea that it's like you you know you manage your season so that you're playing your best basketball at the end of the season going into the playoffs and that's when you're also feeling as healthy as possible. But that's a myth, man. Nobody does that. Like nobody. Mm-hmm. You watch LeBron out there last night with like a busted foot playing practically the whole game to win a playing game against the Timberwolves a shorthanded Timberwolves. I'm sure that's not how he drew up the end of his career. But, you know, you you do what you have to do. Um, we can keep going through these questions I have that are just general uh, postseason questions for the Sixers. We talked about Embiid. Um, what, do you see, what do you want to see from Big Jim Harden on a night-to-night basis that goes beyond the box score? Um, for it, me, it's about mentality. That's the biggest thing. Um, I'm not expecting Harden to always shoot well. Um, I know he's taking he takes a lot of difficult shots um, in terms of his step back three, but I need to see him be aggressive. And it, I mean, we all know what aggressive looks like. We all know, you know, when those those games where Harden is mentally checked into a game. I need to see that. Like, I, I don't care if he goes out. I mean, well, I do care if he goes out there and shoots poorly. Um, but I, I just need to I need to see him sit, say, you know what? I'm going to put the team on my back tonight because I do think he's the most important player for this team. Like as, as great as Joel Embiid is, I know he's the MVP. At the end of the day, this is a guards league. Now he's going to be the guy controlling and handling the ball. He's the, the playmaker. He's going to be the guy who, you know, sometimes he's going to have to take that, that three in clutch time. And if he's unwilling to do that, then I think we're in trouble. Uh, there's two things you alluded to one. The other thing mm-hmm. I would add, so I, the, the number one thing I'm going to look for in Harden, because he's going to get his 20 and 10. Yeah. The other thing I'm going to look for in Harden, close of games, and like how's he playing at the end of games? Because I think yeah. that's a place where if you had any flaws in Embiid's game, sometimes the very end of games, he becomes winded. He's not as, he's not as uh, careful with the ball. Um, you know, that, that's where you want somebody who's like, I am the point guard. I will, I will orchestrate this. You don't have to pass out of double teams. You know what I mean? With your back to the basket to get our offense going. So there's that. And, uh, I want to see how he reacts to the whistle and how he plays with the whistle in the postseason, because he is still a guy, maybe not as much as he was in Houston, who, Mm -hmm. uh, gets the line a lot, who does a lot with defensive contact, but sometimes refs swallow their whistles in the postseason. Or they might yeah. not be whistling the way you want them to go. And it's to see how much that knocks him off his square. Yeah. And, you know, it, like it's so interesting with Harden is that I feel like... Like, I watched last night's game, right? And Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry were just kind of grifting their way to feel... Oh, my God, dude. To, to I, I almost threw a bottle through my television watching that. I like... No, like yeah, I, my feelings about the Miami Heat are known, but, like, that was a tough game to watch. Yeah, it, it was brutal. And, you know, the one thing I'll say is that ever Kyle since... Kyle Lowry was, like, pulling the chair on dudes. Like, it was like a YMCA game. <laughs> but, yeah, it's like the one thing I'll say is, like, they'll still give guys like Kyle Lowry and they'll give, you know, Jimmy Butler or, like, even Austin Reeves. They'll get those fouls. But for some reason, since the change of the rules... Harden is seen as this reputation player, and it's like, we can't give him that call. That's because they changed the rules because of Harden. They didn't change the rules because of Austin Reeves. But it's like Austin Reeves gets, like, at this point, Austin Reeves gets more superstar cars than James Harden at this point. 
I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. I mean, this so is it's like just, it's it's so interesting to me that you know Harden almost has to play with a harder difficulty than anybody else. And I yeah. think you're gonna like. I really want to see how he reacts to that. Like, I think, but, that's a but good that point. shouldn't come as a surprise to him. And so I don't want to see him. The the definition of an insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Like, I don't want to see James Harden just throw his hands up and be like, "Well, this is my game, and if I'm not getting the calls, then there's not much I can contribute." Yeah, that's fair. That's um, very fair. Okay. What non-Embiid Harden Sixer are you the most confident in going into this Brooklyn series, but also just more into the postseason in general? I'm going to say, I'm going to see, I'm going to say Melton. Great answer. Like I, I, like I, I love what he brings to the table. I think, you know, he has a good matchup against Spencer Dinwiddie. I think he's going to be able to, you know, limit him. I think he's going to be able to, you know, hit open, open looks that Harden gives him. I'm very confident in what he brings to the table. This is going to maybe segue into the uh, next question I had, which was which, what's the non-Harden and Bede Sixer that you uh, are most worried about? But is it telling that when I asked you what Harden's Embiid Sixer, non-Harden and Bede Sixer are you most confident in, you didn't say Tobias Harris or Tyrese Maxey? Yeah. Um, I think this matchup, for Maxi is a good test for him. And I'm not that confident in him. I mean, believe it or not. Um, just because, you know, when you look at Tyrese Maxi, who he's going to have to deal with, he's he has to deal with all of these wings. Mikael Bridges, Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal. He has to beat these bigger, longer defenders. Um, and the last game he played against Brooklyn, he was 4 for 11 for 12 points. But I think this is a good test. Yeah. I think this is... This, who do we have to face in the second round, most likely? The Boston Celtics. They have a ton of wings who can switch, and, and they're big and long, and they can create problems for Maxi. So same, same with is, Milwaukee. Same with Milwaukee. You're going to yeah, see Jay so, Crowder. You're going to see Chris Middleton. You're going to see Drew Holiday. It's, it's it, There is not going to be an easy – you're not going to just roast some team like going forward and just get used to it. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like really excited to, to see – you know, if Maxi can pass this test, then I think, you know, maybe it gives us hope for a Boston matchup. Um, this is a great way to start getting into the Brooklyn series because I wanted to have somewhere in here the doc talk. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw today a quote from Jacques Vaughn. I think he, he told uh, Christian Winfield at the Daily News, the, the New York Daily News, he was like, you know, I love adjustments and I, I love I love to think about like making adjustments and uh, adjustments is one of those things that like the common NBA media person is always saying adjustments and then it's like what do you mean by that and it's like I, I'm not really sure you know like yeah it, 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 like it's obviously like your substitution patterns deciding who's going to be on the floor at any given time deciding defensive matchups that kind of thing but I took I took note of Jacques saying that and and obviously him relishing the chess match that is a playoff series. Um, I think this will be an early test for Doc as much as it is for Maxi, because I don't know how much Maxi Harden we're going to see this mm-hmm. series, um, which is usually the primary n- engine of our non-Embiid minutes, right? For the most yeah. part. And I would mm-hmm. imagine it, everything is going to get a little tighter rotation-wise in the playoffs as it usually does. But... How are you feeling about Doc going into the postseason? And then this is a way for us to talk a little bit more about the matchup going into this Brooklyn matchup specifically. 
I think going into this Brooklyn matchup, I just specifically, I just, I don't know how much we're going to have to see. I don't know how much Doc is going to have to win this series. Yeah. Um, the one thing I'm kind of hoping for is that we get to the point where MB can pull back a little bit. Because I, I would like to see, you know, Embiid and Harden kind of save themselves for later rounds. So the ideal situation for me is that, you know, we can kind of, you know, put some of these games away early um, and, you know, maybe rely on Maxi, rely on Tobias a little bit more. Um, but I don't know if Doc is going to have to win this series for us. Can I tell you something, just- Raheem? Don't don't lose any sleep over that man because that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've done a lot of podcasts together. We have done a lot of like I wish we could have some warriors, classic <laughs> warriors esque. Everybody is sitting there looking at their nails in the fourth quarter on the bench, and it never happens. It's like we definitely have said up, this back in January, and it has not happened. Even when we're up twenty two, and in the fourth quarter, I feel like we got to bring a bead back up off the bench to like save the game. You know, it's like. They're not quite cardiac kids, and they've been a really great team this season, but I would not call these dudes the closers. Yeah, that's fair. And when they put that bench unit out there, I mean, like, sometimes Doc weaves some magic where it's like, oh, we're down a couple of guys, and Doc puts together this junk lineup that, like, completely, like, surprises you like they did against that Heat team, that Heat game earlier in the year. But Mm. I just feel like even if we sweep or gentlemen sweep the Nets, which is what I'm hoping... They're not going to be like seventy five percent games. They're going to be a hundred percent games. Yeah, I can I can see that. I can definitely see that. <laughs> What's the most compelling kind of um, matchup like within the Nets Sixers series? Like, what's the most compelling matchup to you? I think you talked a little bit there about Maxi versus the big big wings. Is there somebody something else that you're looking at? It's PJ Tucker versus Mikael Bridges. Jesus, that's talk it. About, I mean- talk, talk about sliding doors, man. <laughs> Um, I mean, we brought PJ Tucker in for these moments to be uh-huh. able to handle, the, you know, the best wing on the opposing team, and you know, Mikael Bridges has seen his usage rate go from like eighteen percent in Phoenix to like thirty percent. He's also I like mean, a friggin' fifty, forty, ninety guy now. Yeah, and I mean, he's like twenty-seven um, points on like sixty percent true shooting. Um, I like this matchup just because I feel like for the first time. You know, Bridges is going to have, he's going to be the focal point of the scouting report. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's one thing to do in a regular season. It's another thing to be able to, you know, make the leap in your first postseason series as the man. Do you think we'll be using the scouting report that we used when we drafted him? <laughs> uh, I mean, the scouting report apparently said to trade him. So I want to get this off my chest one more time. This sucks. <laughs> it does. This sucks. <laughs> He's one of my favorite players in the league now. He, I guess, is just going to be Kevin Durant. <laughs> so that's cool. Like, they drafted a role player and turned him into, uh, like, a 27-point-a-game scorer. And, and his mom works for the Sixers. And, like, we, how, and we drafted Zaire Smith instead. Like, how, like, I just don't understand how you can mess up that story. I know. I know. They gave him the hat. They had him on the draft <laughs> with the hat. Um, oh, my God. I just needed to get that off my chest. But, uh, yes, Bridges Tucker is a fantastic choice. 
Um, it's hilarious to me that like PJ, the star stopper needs to play against this dude we drafted and traded, but that's okay. Uh, I, I'm very interested in that as well. The Claxton and bead matchup does not really hold a lot of interest to me. Um, I think Harden, I mean, Harden that one holds interest to me just because I expect Embiid to like, yeah, it's like, is Embiid going to score 40 or not? Is my, interest it's, it's, in that. His, it's his victory lap for yeah. MVP. So yeah. I'm excited to see that just because I just, you know, sometimes you just want to see your guy bully everybody else. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm interested in Harden versus some of those big wings that you talked about. I assume yeah. they will all trade off of Maxi and Harden and, 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 and in whatever capacity they can. Yeah. Uh, and I would like to see, I, this isn't a matchup as much as it's a uh, like a wish, is a couple consistent Tobias games in a row. Yeah. I can see that. I, I definitely want to see that. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to learn anything from the MB matchup. That's just, you know, me having fun. But yeah, I think every other matchup in this series, you know, whether it's, you know, Tobias versus some of those wings, uh, Maxi versus those wings, PJ versus Macau, um, we're going to learn a lot from it. Um, and I think it's going to make them better for future series. We talked about uh, Bridges already. Who's the Brooklyn X Factor? Who's the guy that uh, you look at and you say, like, this dude could make a difference in this series? Mm. Um, it has to be Claxon. I mean, that's that's the only one. I mean, like, can, can Claxton do something to limit MB? I, I mean, I don't see it. But it's just, like, he's going to have to be the guy. Or if it's not Claxton, honestly, it's going to have to be... Honestly, it's going to have to be... G- I think the X factor is going to be Jack Vaughn saying, look, let's go small. Yeah. And let's just spread the floor and try to force them, like, try to force, let's go five out and see if they can match up with it. I think that's the X factor. This is sort of a weird one because it's not a person. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to throw it out there. Mm -hmm. But I... Oh, before we move on, one thing I want to add is that, you know, I watched that Nets game versus the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh-huh. Um, I think it was actually one of my first picks on the hundreds. I took the Minnesota Timberwolves. And towards the end of that game, you saw them go small. Um, and Rudy Gobert was a complete liability. Was he? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, at some point, Chris Finch said, look, I can't play. I can't play Gobert. We're just gonna go with 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 Cat at the five, and you know Cat absolutely dominated that small ball lineup. Um, now Embiid's not gonna be unplayable like Gobert, but it'll be interesting to see if they go to that small ball lineup and and you know and just try to trade three for two. Um, that's something I really want to see. Well, that was gonna, that that goes right into what I was gonna say is my X factor for Brooklyn, mm-hmm. which isn't a specific player, but more of an idea of their microwave mm-hmm. their microwave man. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't think Cam Thomas is going to play in this series. I mean, Jock seems to have him more or less out of the rotation. But when he does play, he seems to score 40. And I just kind of have my eye on Brooklyn player X who goes nuts and just like fills it up and seems to can't and can't seem to miss it all. And just like the Sixers adjusting to what you're saying is Brooklyn's ability to put it in the cup and Brooklyn's ability, you know, this is not like any, obviously this is like, it's a different sport than Brooklyn was playing when they, during the 16 games when they had Irving Harden and and Durant, or even when they had Irving and Durant playing 
or even just Durant and like the offensive capabilities of that team. But there are a couple of guys, Cam Thomas, Cam Jordan, Seth, to some extent, Joe Harris, although I don't know that he's ever really been the same since he's come back from his injuries. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, Mikhail Bridges has had a couple of huge games. There are dudes on this team who can score for sure. And the Sixers adjusting to that offensive outburst coming from maybe an unexpected place. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I mean, that's interesting to me. Cam, Cam, Tom, Cam Thomas is not keeping you up at night. He's not. Um, and I, I do think we could hold down Spencer Dinwiddie. I just, oh, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe, name. maybe I'm under, maybe I'm underestimating this Brooklyn team. You're not, nor should you be because you're not underestimating them. And also like, if we're serious about going to the Eastern conference or what, or, or NBA finals, we can't be like, how is Brooklyn going to jam us up? It's yeah. like you got to take care of business. I, I just I, I do see them getting one game. I, I was going to ask you this. I, I see them getting one game. I, I was going to ask just, you how you felt about it being the first one. It, I wouldn't be shocked. And the big reason why is because I just don't. I think my biggest concern is about us. Is James Harden okay? Um, I mentioned this before, but we were 28 and 8 from December 31st to December 19th. And as soon as James Harden injured his Achilles in the the first half of that Bulls game, we went four and five with the net rating of zero point nine. And I know we had a tough schedule over that 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 stretch of games, but James Harden really he's looked good once in that Raptors game for the last three weeks of the season. So I'm more concerned about how we look than you know what brooklyn is throwing at us yeah i think that that's that is like the most mature way of looking at it i'm also concerned about it being too long of a series unnecessarily because they they get sloppy with them um you know you don't always have to go 16-0 to win an nba finals or anything like no no rarely does that ever happen but like i i don't really want to be in a six game series with brooklyn while boston is resting after smashing atlanta you know yeah I mean, it's unfortunate. I mean, I actually picked Atlanta last night um, for the hundreds, um, but it was just like for the, against it the Heat, not against the yeah, Celtics. yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been nice to see the Heat match up with the Celtics because as, as bad as the Heat are, they were they would have made the Celtics work for it. It just also would have been funny to watch Bill watch that series. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is your prediction for this Brooklyn Philly series? I'm going Sixers and five. Sixers and five is what I got. That was yeah. That's it. I mean, like that, those were really my like my main things. Uh, is there is there like a I, you know this is this pregnant moment before we start getting tape. Raheem and I are obviously going to be recording after the game mm-hmm. on Saturday, so you'll have a podcast on Saturday afternoon. I think Sheil is also going to do some Sixers later in the week, maybe. But you know, I mean, this is this is what this is all been building up to. I feel like on Saturday afternoon. It's going to be like almost a completely different podcast from the one that we've done this season because I'm going to be analyzing them on a with like a level of scrutiny that I don't know that I have this season. It's what happens in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean it matters now. I mean this is this is this is everything. So um, I'm just hoping that on Saturday we can you know we're not losing. You know, here's an ironic thing: we were eight point favorites against the Nets in 2019 as well. Were we for the opening game? Yeah, actually, and that was, like a D, that was like a D, that was like a D, a D low game, right? Like, didn't they? Didn't yeah. they just kind of like? 
yeah. not just flat. And like they were like they were the young nets, right? Yeah, actually, like I had just left Rock Nation, and I became that was when I started betting full time. Okay, and I like crushed the playoffs that year. But I, I like I remember I had the nets full game and money line. <laughs> I'm just kind of hoping it goes the opposite way this time. I, <laughs> I don't too. see myself. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I just. And it's so funny because even back then under Brett Brown, I still have I still had that same feeling about the Sixers team that we we don't always win the games we're supposed to win. I mean, you know what it is? It's like now I feel like we will win the games we're supposed to win. It's just I have no idea if we can win the games that we're not supposed to win. Yeah. And that's going to take that's what this is going to take over the next 6 weeks is winning games that we're not supposed to win. Winning in Boston. It's just mm-hmm. what's going to have to happen because, you know, that's just that's just the deal. Like, it sucks. And I would love to, like, mix it up and play different teams some seasons. But it's just always Boston. And yeah. uh, I'll, I'll be I'll be getting myself ready for that. Raheem, uh, great talking to you today, man. Cliff is our producer, as always. Cliff Augustine got some more uh, Eagles talk this week with the draft coming up. And then Raheem and I will be back on Saturday afternoon with a postgame show, probably about 20 minutes or so. So look for that in your feed after the Sixers play the Nets on Saturday.